Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast, Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. I did not know about today being the anniversary of the birth of the modern nation of Israel, and that's a cool thing. Um, I don't have a mother Mother's Day message, sorry, <laughs> and I don't have a, uh, a a nation of Israel message. That would have been cool to do that. But we are going going to go to the Hebrew Scriptures, and we're going to look at Isaiah chapter six, where. The Hebrew prophet got to see the God of Israel and told us about it. Isaiah chapter 6, we're looking at the first seven verses this morning. And we'll read that in just a moment. I had another date in mind as I came up with this, trying to contrast the things that we look at as amazing in this world and maybe even sometimes fall into worshiping in this world, some people, um, and um, contrast that with what Isaiah saw with the Lord. And my mind was drawn to August 2nd, 1975. That is a date that I just have never forgotten because it was so important to me at the time. It was like the best thing that had ever happened to me, I thought, happened on August 2nd, 1975. So I kind of remember it like I remember my own birthday, even though, you know, it was just a concert. (laughs) But I was 17 years old, and I finally got to see the Rolling Stones. They came to Jacksonville. I grew up in Tampa. They were my musical heroes. I play guitar because of Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. I was inspired by him to do that. And he was a big hero of mine. And uh, so getting to see them in person, I mean, I knew... At the end of the school year, I graduated from high school that year, and I would go into classes, you know, in May, the, the end of the year. I would get there ahead of time, which, if you know me, that's highly unusual. But I, but I would get there ahead of time, and I would draw the Rolling Stones tongue symbol on the blackboard, and I would put August 2nd, 1975, the Rolling Stones special guest, and I put all the bands that were going to be with them, and couple of the musicians that were going to be playing with them. Billy Preston played keyboards with them on that day, and Billy Preston's percussionist played percussion. And it was a pretty amazing thing to me. I had their posters on my bedroom wall. I had read, I don't know if I had at the time, but I read six books about them. I knew all kinds of trivia and still remember a lot of it. Uh, just doesn't go away. And... I could drop them into any conversation anywhere I went, and often did. (laughs) 
And suddenly, there they were. I mean, I had their posters on my wall. I had the pictures in the books. I had seen there was a movie that had really kind of turned me on to them, Ladies and Gentlemen, the Rolling Stones, and that was on the screen in the movie theater. And But that was all two-dimensional. And now all of a sudden, here I am about 30 yards away from them, and Aaron Copeland's fanfare for the common man starts playing across the PA, and out walks Keith Richards. And I still see him. He's kind of leaning into the side and sauntering out there, picks up his guitar and gets ready to play. And it's three-dimensional. I, I don't know what it was about that, but it was like seeing a statue come to life, flesh and blood, because statues are three-dimensional. So that's what it kind of felt like to me. In fact, I was so inspired by it. I was learning to play guitar at the time. I had just started. And I wrote a song called, Keith, You Are Rock and Roll. <laughs> I'm 17 years old, okay? And and uh, <laughs> I, I could play it for you, but I won't do that. Uh, but uh, the opening line, it's so corny, but but it, but I thought it was so meaningful at the time. You stand upon the stage so brave and bold. <laughs> and that's because statues are usually of you know brave war heroes and stuff like that. So it was like a statue coming to life. There's really nothing brave and bold about somebody who gets to do the one thing he loves to do more than anything else, just jam on his guitar <laughs> for two hours in front of an audience, uh, collect his check, and go on to the next show, <laughs> you know. Nothing brave and bold about that, but that's how I saw it at the time. And that's how into them I was. And I, it was kind of like I was speechless. All of that, not just for a band, but in particular for a man. Humans. And a man who, frankly... I would still say, yeah, he's one of my favorite guitarists, but he's pretty basic guitarist, you know. A lot of three-chord rock and roll and blues. You got all these shredders these days who are like, you know, stuff like that, and he's like, kind of, you know, playing like that. And probably couldn't shred if his life depended on it. And yet, he's a man, whatever anybody thinks of him. He's just a man. And I reacted that way on that day, looking up 30 yards away from me at him. Three years later, I would go to another show, and I'd be like two rows back from the stage, so he's like 10 feet from me. <laughs> but that day was the first, the first time. And it makes me wonder, what would I do if I suddenly saw God? Because that... Keith Richards is a man. The Rolling Stones are men. And, you know, they're not godly men either. <laughs> and what would I do if I suddenly saw God? And I don't think we have to wonder about that. Because I, I think I can tell you what I would do or the experience that I would have anyway, standing in the presence of God. It'd be the same experience you would have. 
the same things you would do. Because I'm sure it would be the same things that Isaiah experienced and Isaiah did when he got to see the Lord, a vision of the Lord, whatever it was. And he tells us about it. And I see in here three things that we would do if we saw the Lord. Let's read the text and then we'll get into those things. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now there's more that we could go on and read, but that's what we're going to look at this morning. Three things we would do if we saw the Lord. Which, of course, means three things that we ought to do or be aware of now. Because just because we don't see him with our eyes, he's still the same God that Isaiah saw. And these things are true of him this morning. So let's check it out. First of all, if we saw the Lord, we would behold his glory. That's what we would see, and it would be impossible to miss. We would behold his glory. How could we miss his glory, given what goes on around his throne, as it's described for us here? Now, you look at King Uzziah, and he reigned for 52 years. Can you imagine somebody being in charge for 52 years? And yet, what still happened to him anyway? He died. Just like the rest of us, he died. Meanwhile, God, who was reigning here, still reigns, is not diminished at all. That's the glorious, eternal, sovereign nature of God. And somebody might look at a king who rules, especially if he's benevolent and, and is on the throne for a long time and things are good and, you know, you, you get somebody like that on the throne and you can really look up to that person and, and really exalt them in this world and yet they're still going to come to an end. They're still going to pass out of this life. And yet with God... He still reigns. Look at the glory. He's high and lifted up. 
it tells us here. The train of his robe filled the temple. I think it's interesting that it says filled the temple. Speaking of him in, you know, like royal kind of terms, and yet it doesn't say the train of his robe filled the palace. The train of his robe filled the temple. That's because our king is our God. And we don't just exalt him as king, we worship him as God. And to honor him as king is to worship him, to bow before him as the ruler of our lives and as the ruler of everything, as the one, the the source of everything and the one before whom everyone and everything ultimately stands. That's worship, to acknowledge him as such. To worship him is to bow before him as king. It talks about seraphim, and that word seraph, and by the way, sometimes you see seraph and seraphim, um, they're the same thing. It's not two different things. Seraph is singular in, in Hebrew. A lot, most of the time when you want to make something plural, you add an im, I-M on the end in our, in our alphabet. And so seraphim are multiple seraphs. And um, that, that word means fiery. Fiery beings declaring his holiness, and they're declaring his holiness constantly. Now, in Hebrew, if you want to create a superlative, you repeat the same word twice. Like, we might say something is awesome, but if we want to make it even more than that, it's like, whoa, dude, this is really awesome. You know, that's a... We're making a superlative out of that. But in Hebrew, you'd say, it's awesome, awesome. <laughs> you'd say it twice. There's a passage I came across somewhere that, that said, uh, that referred to gold, gold. <laughs> and that was like really pure gold it was talking about there. Can't remember where that was, but... But God's holiness is even bigger than that, though, because they don't just say, holy, holy. They say, holy, holy, holy. I mean, it's getting really big in the way the language works. He's so far above and distinct from his creation. A lot of people want to say that God is in creation and that the creation is God. God is in the tree, or the tree is God, has divine essence to it or something. No, God is distinct from his creation. He made us, and he made this world, and he made everything in it, and he made, the, he made everything but himself. Even the angelic beings around his throne, he made them. It's all his creation, but none of it is him. He is distinct from it, and yet at the same time, he fills it. His glory fills it. They say the whole earth is full of his glory. And sometimes we look around at this world and we say, I don't know if I can see that very much. You often think of the song, uh, 
you know, what a wonderful world. <laughs> um, Louis Armstrong did a version, I think, Nat King Cole, a bunch of people have done a version of that song. And it's a, it's a nice song. And yet I look around and I say, I don't know how true it is, <laughs> you know, in, in a lot of places. And sometimes we could look and say, the whole earth is full of his glory. Where is it? And yet if we have eyes to see, I'm looking at a tree right outside this window, his handiwork, the, the leaves on that tree, the complexity of it, put it under the, the, the highest powered microscope, and all the things that are involved in what just looks like a little piece of green stuff, and his handiwork, um, the human eye, the human body, the human everything, his handiwork. And if we look around and and keep that in mind, this is his, this is all subject to him, and we're all going to stand before him someday. And someday, this time as we know it, he's going to roll that scroll up, and there's going to be judgment, and no one will stand against him. He will prevail. He always prevails. And so if we look at the world that way, we say, yeah, the whole earth is full of his glory. That's probably why why Paul says in Romans that, uh, you know, you can see see it in creation that God is the creator, that God exists. Because if you have eyes to see, you can see his glory. His glory fills it like his train fills the temple. Everywhere you look, you see what he has made. Every breath you take is air from the atmosphere that he established to work the way that it does. So this morning, let me just throw a question out there. How do you see him? How do you see him? Because sometimes... Maybe we fall into this idea, we view him like this kindly grandfather kind of figure, you know, and he's sitting there and wants to read us stories or, you know, bounce us on his knee or, you know, stuff like that. And I don't doubt that there is an aspect to him that that could describe, but that's not the sum total of things. What Isaiah is describing for us here is something Way beyond that, you know, we, he's he, he's he's on clouds and there's elevator music playing on harps and stuff like that. No, no, no. He's glorious. He reigns. There's smoke and stuff, you know. And Isaiah saw the Lord, and what he saw was glory. And if we saw the Lord, we would see that too. It's interesting that the same, the, the earth that contains his glory is sometimes the thing that distracts us from his glory. We get focused on the creation and forget the creator. Or we love this world and want what this world has to offer. And some people, I think of Demas that Paul talked about who had departed him having loved this present world. And 
sometimes the things of this world can entice us away if we let them from the one whose glory fills the very world in which we exist. But as I say, for those with eyes to see, it's everywhere. It's evident in his handiwork. It's evident in his grace in our lives. Even his grace upon our nation. Our nation has rapidly moved away from him. And yet he still is gracious with us. We know from the history of Israel that we might not be able to count on that forever. But it's there and it shows his glory. Now, do you know what happens when you become enthralled with the grace of God? Or the glory of God, I should say. Or actually, no, the grace of God. Actually, both. The glory and the grace. Well, that's our second point speaks to that. If we saw the Lord, we would know we are not worthy. And that's what our response would be. We would know that we're not worthy to stand before him. This man of God here, Isaiah, sees the Lord and his own sin is magnified in his eyes. Verse 5, he says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Notice that word for there. It's, it's like because. I, he, he is aware of this because he has seen the glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord makes him claim nothing for himself. He knows his sinfulness and it is magnified in his eyes. I find it interesting that this is the man that God put his hand upon and called to speak to Judah and and pronounce woe to them. And yet here he is pronouncing woe on himself as he stands before the glory of God. I'm lost, he says, a sinner who dwells among sinners. He kind of reminds me of the the man in the back of the temple, you know, in in Luke where the Pharisee is praying up front. He's praying about how great he is and thanking Lord for his own greatness and stuff. And there's the man in the back who's uh, who's just beating his breast and can't even look up, raise his eyes to look up to God and begging God for mercy upon his sinful life. And Isaiah seems to have that kind of thing going on here in the presence of God. The bright light of glory shines on Isaiah and he sees his unworthiness even to be standing there. Have you ever gotten dressed in a dimly lit room and you look at yourself, your outfit looks good and, you know, you're all good to go? And then you head out into the bright light. (laughs) And you discover, oh, I have a black sock and a blue sock. (laughs) And then maybe there's some some, uh, stain on, on your shirt, you know, that didn't show up in the dim light of the room in which you dressed. 
and a bright light shines on you and surprises you with, <laughs> with what it shows you. It shows you flaws you didn't catch under the dim light. Well, if we saw the Lord, the light of his glory would reveal how dark our lives are. We wouldn't be boasting. We wouldn't be judging others. It would be all about, whoa, woe is me. And here's a thought. We're not any more qualified to boast or judge others without having stood before God in the presence of his glory. And yet, for some reason, we have a propensity for doing that sometimes. His glory is still true, and the sinfulness of of us is still true, and our unworthiness to stand before him is still true. And so it's no less true that we should go and boast in ourselves and judge others than it would be if we were standing before him where all of our thoughts could only turn to our own sin before a holy God. When we do those things, maybe we're not looking hard enough at our glorious God and allowing his light to shine upon our lives. You know, when you read the scriptures, sometimes we read the scriptures looking for things that bring us joy and encouragement and and whatnot, but the scriptures are full of the glory of God, the standards of God that we fail to meet. And don't miss those things, because those things will keep you humble before God. And it is good to read the scriptures, and all of a sudden you're bent at the waist saying, Oh, Lord, I fall so far short of this. And then we thank him for the mercy that we have through Christ. So if we're we're unworthy to be in his presence, how can we ever wind up in heaven? Well, I just kind of hinted at it. But that leads us to our third point. If we saw the Lord, we would fall on his mercy. Verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. It's interesting that that happened after he became aware of his sin and and essentially is confessing his sin. And then the Lord through the seraphim takes care of it. Isaiah wasn't wrong about his sin. That's why there was a need for this little incident to take place. Now, I don't know exactly what the altar, I guess it says it was an altar, so it was an altar. There were tongs, there were burning coals, and, you know, that's, that's not the normal way to get cleansed before God. For Isaiah's situation, that's what God did, but... You know, God, through his servant, the seraphim, is the one who made Isaiah clean and able to stand in his presence. And in our place and in our time, 
We live on, we live post cross, post resurrection, and it was the blood of Jesus shed on our behalf and applied to our lives through faith that washes us clean and makes us able to stand in the presence of God, makes us have the hope of going and being with him someday and arriving there rejoicing, not arriving there in fear and trembling that we might be judged because our sin was judged on the cross and we know that and we have assurance of that. The only way we ever belong in the presence of God is if he makes us belong. We can't make ourselves belong. It's like taking an oily rag and trying to wash your car with it. I don't never, there might be a really old illustration. I never see anybody out washing their cars anymore, but we used to do that. Pull the thing up in the front yard, get the hose going, a bucket of soapy water. And But if you took a, if you took an oily cloth and did that, you're going to smear oil on your car, even though you've got the soapy water and everything. And that's the problem we have. Our, our hands are filthy, and we can't wash ourselves of the sin because our hands are sinful. And all we do is smear the stuff around. It takes God doing a miraculous work on our behalf to make us belong in his presence. Consider these passages here. Hebrews 1, verse 3, second half of the verse. After making purification for sins, this is talking about Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He made purification for sins. Nothing we did to help him to... Increase that at all. We contributed nothing to that. He made purification for sins and then sat down at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's the blood of Christ that does that. Colossians 1, 12 to 14, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Get that? He has qualified you. He has qualified you. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He did the delivering, not us. These are wonderful assurances from God that he has made us through the blood of Christ belong in his presence, able to stand before him. If you've never received Jesus by faith, you need to do that because your sin is upon you. When you stand before God someday, it's going to be for judgment Receiving Jesus as your Savior, who went to the cross in your place, who took your sin upon himself, the sin that that brings death to us, and then he who was perfect and had no reason to die took your sin, my sin, 
upon himself and died willingly on the cross as a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice to pay for our sins. And you receive the benefits of that by believing in him, by receiving what he has offered as a gift. And then watch him change your life. So having been enabled to stand in his presence, he invites us to do that not just someday when we are in heaven, but even now in this life. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With confidence to go before the most holy God whose glory fills the earth. He invites us to do that with confidence. So throughout this life, we bow in his presence and one day, We'll do it in such a way that we actually look upon him and his glory. And what a great day that will be if you have placed your faith in Jesus. So now the guy who inspired me to play guitar, Keith Richards, I pray for him from time to time. It's interesting, I found out a few years ago that his wife had come to faith. She went through, I think it was cancer, and um, and started attending a ladies' Bible study in her area and came to faith. And so Keith's got a witness in his presence. And I've heard him in interviews I've read here and there say some things that make me wonder, oh, I wonder if he's, start, if he's getting it, you know? I don't know. The Lord knows. But keep praying for him. But I... Don't worship him. Not at all. God, enthroned in heaven, his glory filling the earth, is the only one worthy of worship. No one else, nothing else, deserves that from us, is worthy of that. And while we do get glimpses of his glory now, One day, we will see him, and we will not be able to miss it. (laughs) It will be front and center and very obvious, and probably prompting a few hallelujahs to come out of our mouths (laughs) at the time. If we saw him now, we'd not miss his glory. We would not miss the fact that we're not worthy to be in his presence. And yet, because of what Christ has done for us, when we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, he invites us there into his presence. So here's an idea. He is as glorious as he's ever been, even though we haven't seen it the way Isaiah does, but he is glorious. So why don't we live our lives like he's glorious? And he has made us worthy to stand before him. And we're so aware of the things that could destroy that. And yet he is gracious 
And so we go to him again and again and again, confessing our sins to him, maintaining that free fellowship we have with him. And so we are able to go into his presence. So let's live like he's made us clean, like he's made us his children. And let's take him up on the offer to come boldly before his throne. Thank you so much for joining us today. Those listening on WLGS radio or watching through our webpage or social media, it's been a blessing to serve you and to serve the larger body of Christ, those we cannot see, but we know you're out there and we thank God for you. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.